Karina, and you are listening to The Planets Are My Gods. And I had a few questions about what to call this podcast. I was thinking maybe Scorpio goes for the jugular or Pluto rules everything around me. And I want to go deeper into this idea in evolutionary astrology that Pluto is the evolutionary intention of the soul, that it's the unmanifested or the desires that the soul wants to manifest that are kind of the force that lead to the incarnation of the lifetime by specifically sort of mirroring it with what we know about Scorpio. So there might be a special emphasis that evolutionary astrology places on Pluto that it isn't necessarily mirrored in other astrological paradigms. But if we can take what we know about Scorpio and then extrapolate that to what we understand about Pluto and what that means about how to navigate our own life, especially when it comes to those places of just the utmost intensity of attachment and clinging and aversion that we do when it comes to our desires, I feel like we can really glean a lot. So just to get started, I have always said that sex is always in the room. I've said this from a very young age, which probably shows you something about what a weird and, you know, sex and sexuality obsessed kid, adolescent, early adult, regular adult I've been. But when I said that sex is always in the room, I didn't mean, and still don't mean, sex itself. It's not like I mean the sex act is always in the room but that everything that's within the dynamic of sex, sexuality, attraction, life force energy, erotic energy is what I mean. And so I spent years studying this stuff in order to be able to find a language because I sensed something that was present when I said that sex is always in the room. But through all of my studies now, I've learned that what I mean is that in a foundational way, At our core, we are primarily organized around a social and sexual identity. That it's sort of the foundation or the cornerstone of how we know ourselves. And it's the animating force that influences both how we move our own bodies, how we interact with others, how groups structure and organize themselves around energy and power and um, attraction and repulsion. And that's more what I mean, is that our identity itself, well, first on an even deeper layer, our energy body itself And then once you bring in our kind of mind body to it, our identity itself, and then our social interactions, our groups, our society, et cetera, is organized around our social sexual identity and that our identity is one with our social sexual search, right? What we are searching for socially and sexually is our identity. And so Before you go kind of thinking about other people and say maybe like, oh yeah, that's why pop music is like that and that's why men have their midlife crisis and they date other women or oh yeah, like that's what defined the popular people at school. Before you go making it about other people, I mean you, I mean me, I mean all of us and I definitely mean those of us who think that we're spiritual 
So let's think about this because it's not just your own personal sexual social energy or your like how you present yourself that is your identity, but it, it's the search that is your identity, right? Because the search contains both who you think you are, how energy moves through you and how you've been able to sort of cognitively build a personality around that. But that the personality that you've built, that I've built, that we've all built is inherently related to what you're seeking, right? I am my search and everything about me is involved is like the architecture in motion is like the living desire moving through us that is geared not towards that search but is the search itself i'm saying that over and over again because i think it's so important right because within the search everything is contained right and so you might have all different kinds of elements that comprise your search you might want a certain level of status or certain possibilities in your life, right? You might want to be a committed parent and spouse. You might want um, a bunch of money. You might want to be super creatively expressed. You might want to be a performer up on stage. There are all of these things that you might want. And what I'm proposing is that all of those other identities are secondary to the foundation that is your sexual social search. That at the core of it, some weird thing happens to us, maybe in puberty, maybe before puberty, maybe at the level of our soul, maybe because of the ways that sexual social energy is what I'm saying, the foundational core mechanism or system of human beings, that that identity is primary. And from that, from this like often painful process of socialization that we go through, this also painful journey of self-discovery that we go through, understanding ourselves as a sexual social identity amongst others, that these other desires emerge and that these other identities emerge as secondary. The first movement is our sexual social search the second movement is all of these other ideas or possibilities or desires that emerge from that, right? So it's not like, ooh, I just want to be a famous writer because really I want to get off, right? Because it's sexual, social. It's like the idea of how you want energy to move through your body, about how you want to be erotically circuiting energy through your own body and with others, about how you want to be seen and interacted with in society, the primary cornerstone of that is a sexual social search. And then the secondary is the other identities, the other searches, the other desires that are born out of that. So I might be belaboring the point and getting really long-winded, but um, if we bring this back to Pluto, what we know about Pluto is that Pluto moves the masses, right? Pluto are these big collective forces and I think it's the same thing in terms of this sexual social energy that it's this underlying force moving all of us that's behind everything 
that is motivating all seeking, that is always in the room, and that it's something that we work on as a generation, but then we each have our own little piece of it. So let's think about this, right? Because if Pluto represents the you know, deep desires of our soul, the deepest desires of our soul, and if Scorpio is that like depth, watery Mars, the deep transformation, the sex, money, power, the rock and roll, the like mm, deep negredo of the alchemical process of life, what's happening in that inferno is not just like, ooh, la, 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 this is what I want. It is the vicious place of our deepest clinging, of our most profound attachment, of what we refuse to give up in this lifetime. That's why, you know, it's nighttime Mars. It's like the unconscious level of what we're willing to fight for, to go to battle for. Scorpio is what we will, you know, murder for, essentially. It is also where we have the potential to feel the most victimized and therefore become like this, you know, vicious victim. So it's the root of us. It is the root of us. And even if you think of like that fire of Mars, that will, that drive of Mars being taken to the deepest depths of the fixed water scorpionic ocean to me it's like the volcano the magma the lava in the deep sea making new earth this is what we are made of and it is i think often the last piece that we are willing to let go of so all of those more secondary desires i think are a little bit more fluid are a little bit easier to fall away but that sexual social search is the core of that hot magma and just to remind you again sorry if i'm repeating myself but i do not mean sex itself i do not mean "Mm, yes i need to have sex or i'm gonna be mad right a lot of people age out of wanting to have actual sex but they are consoled by their sexual social identity i know so many couples right? Even in their 40s, 50s, they don't have sex anymore. But let's say you're married. Let's say you have kids. Let's say you get to look cute and get your, you know, Botox and dye your hair and wear your wedding ring and have your kid. That is now the manifestation of your sexual social search. You could be having a completely celibate existence, but it's the entire identity that's involved with feeling active and sexually attractive. And for a lot of people, it's just feeling like you have the options and the possibilities, even if you don't act on them. It's feeling like you could go out there. You could have one night stands. You could go to a sex dungeon. You could do whatever the shape of your particular desires are. That is the fuel and the food of your sexual social identity to enough that you don't even need to be doing actual sex. That's what I mean. It's so ingrained into us. It's so woven into the fabric of who we are that it's hard to even recognize that it's a search. But I'm sure if any one of us suddenly had the feeling of those possibilities taken away, if we lost all of our limbs, if we were held in a Russian prison for 20 years, if um, we could no longer experience orgasm or pleasure it would be cutting us off at the root 
at something very, very deep. And just wanting to point out how intrinsic it is to our being. This is not about good. This is not about bad. This is not about transcend your desires. This isn't about merge your desires. That's going to be unique to every particular soul and their context. But I just want to point out that it is the core of us. And I think in terms of desire in general, one of the most useful models that I have found is this idea of seeing things in terms of two different streams. So there's this one stream that we come to our desires with at an energetic trauma state. And this is... Um, it doesn't matter what the desires are, right? But I think this comes from the belief that our search can be realized here on earth, right? We've reached a level of such absolute human narcissism, human aggrandizement, egoic glorification. Um, late capitalism fuels this. I think it meets our ego, our sense of separation, and our desire to maximize those possibilities that I was talking about, right? You can even think that what we're supposed to be doing here on earth is to be being a human ego, maximizing our possibilities. And again, I'm saying a lot of those possibilities that we're trying to maximize are the social sexual identification ones. And there's such a level of feeling like we're already separate. And the way we can get those desires met is by actualizing this. And by actualizing this by whatever, being, you know, the hottest guy on the block or being like a speaker teaching about how great, you know, spiritual renunciation is or being a performer or being a CEO or being like, you know, a really cute young dancer, whatever it is that we're trying to do, married with kids. I hope you get my point now. It doesn't matter whatever it is, but it's that you're where already feel we're separate and then our desires are born as an attempt to connect which I think is partly because one of the ways that we connect is through sexual social energy is through eros right that's that scorpionic desire to merge sex is one of the ways that we know to merge at a gross level but then there's this whole like energy apparatus which is that sexual social erotic level which is this other way of merging right we're trying to reconnect and yet I think there's this place in which whatever you want to call it the parasite of the ego or late capitalism or our own misguided human something has entered in there and says, has installed a Pandora's box of potential desires that we might want. And I think an underlying belief system that in seeking to have our desires in becoming who we think we need to be to get our desires met in doing this like whole, you know, dog and pony show of self-actualizing, then, then, then we will be satisfied and this isn't so much anymore about connecting, even though I still think connecting is the base of it. It's about, I think, winning the game, winning our own particular game of who we want to be uh, in terms of our own notion of what a self-actualized hygiene version of ourself is. But I think then that's also in a consistent feedback loop with what we think winning the game is in terms of the sexual social landscape. And that is a state of seeking 
and separation that might feel good for a while. If we think we're on the journey, if we think we have possibilities, if we think it's happening for us, that's when it feels good. When we think it's impossible and we can't do it and we're not happening, it's not happening for us, that's when it feels bad. And those are sort of like the two states of the egoic seeking, right? That's the high dream and the low dream. That's the roller coaster that we engage in. And those are two sides of the same trauma state that's engaged in just an absolute painful, contracted way of trying to seek and manifest our sexual social desires. So that's one stream. And the thing that I find, you know, really fucked up is that whatever image we have in mind of what we're trying to make happen, and even potentially the way that we're trying to go about it, might look on the surface absolutely the same as what would happen if instead of contracting and fighting and forcing and seeking, we genuinely surrendered? If we really just let everything go and believe that we were already connected, believe that we were already worthy, already felt love flowing to and from and all around us, that if we truly allowed our energy system to just rest in perfect alignment with our true nature, that what might happen for us or what we might engage in might on the surface look exactly the same as what it is that we're trying so fucking hard to make happen. But the way of doing it is completely different, right? The energy state that we're in and the actual journey to get there would be completely different. So Maybe this is also like a really silly binary, right? I also don't want it to be interpreted like just surrender, just renounce it all and everything will come flowing towards you. That's not, I think, you know, whatever. There's like, who knows how anything works. Maybe there's a woo way. Sometimes you got to push and force and then you realize you're like gripping and clinging and doing it too much and you got to like relax and surrender and go a little bit limp and trust, trust that this is, desire is in you, this image is in you because there's something about it that's also your natural state. But um, I do think recognizing how intrinsically tied our desires are to the entire egoic roller coaster um, is meaningful. And then believing, for me, it's been comforting whether or not it's, you know, capital T true, it's been comforting to think that if I stopped doing all of that unnecessary activity and actually just listened to my natural being and my energy and made a home for my soul to move through me, that maybe I, you know, I would naturally be existing in a state of greater harmony, of greater unity, and, you know, more would flow. Maybe not precisely what I want, but more, right? And I think part of this thing, part of the reason why we engage in such intense gripping and trying, one is just because that's part of how the game is rigged, but also because um, we are thinking that we're separate and we're trying to get back to shit and we're trying because our desires matter to us, basically, because we want our desires to happen so bad and that um, we're in like a codependent relationship with it 
because in the sense of it, codependency to me is actually a fallacy of control. It's actually this belief system that if I do things right, if I do force, if I do try, if I do hustle, if I do whatever, you know, fill in the blank, that what I want will come true. The reason, it sounds simple, right? But the reason why we work so hard for what we want is because we believe that, um, that through our working, we will achieve it. And in a way, I think that's how we try and gain control over something that we have very potentially, you know, who knows how much control we have. And it reminds me of like when kids grow up in an alcoholic or unstable environment for whatever reason, they say that it's easier to accept total responsibility than to accept the chaos, right? If you have a parent or a caregiver, I say this all the time, but if you have a parent or a caregiver and sometimes they're like really joyful and loving to you and sometimes they're screaming and raging and sometimes they're passed out, as a child, it's easier for us to believe that their behavior is contingent on our actions, right? That they're that way because of something that we're doing, as opposed to believing that we live in total chaos and have no control. And I think something is similar in terms of our desires. We're born just wanting this thing to happen. And um, in a in a world where we have very little control, and I think we, instead of accepting the chaos or the injustice, take, some people, take total responsibility. And um, in a way, this is kind of like Santa Claus, right? Like if you're a good boy or a good girl, uh, that you'll get what you want. Or it's sort of believing that there's like this good luck God. And it's not that that isn't true, right? You could even interpret what I was saying before, like just relax, baby, and then that's the right thing to do and it'll come. But I really don't mean that because more than anything, I feel like this is a very immature or a very um, you know, traumatized relationship to have with divine mystery. And all that be a good boy or be a good girl is just a little... Um, you know, not my taste. And actually, I think if we look sometimes at the social sexual search itself, there is no justice, right? Some people are born more attractive. Some people are born less attractive. So you can be a great person. You can have a wonderful personality. You can do everything right. And someone can still be attracted to someone else, right? Everyone is out here um, trying to maximize their possibilities. This is what I was trying to say before. Yeah, whether you feel like you're born... Um, ugly or beautiful or interested in this thing or that thing or have this kink or that kink or this sexual orientation. Everyone is out here trying to maximize their possibility. It doesn't matter if you want to be a player or you want to be married with kids or you want to be a tantric master. We're all going for it. We're all going for it. And what obscures us from our own participation in this, I think, is two things. One, um that we're just so involved in trying to get it and that we think it can happen, right? But two, that we're more identified with our wounding and our victim consciousness, right? Like you're always more identified. Like think right now, think of all the times you've been rejected by someone and it really fucking hurt. And then think about all the times that you rejected someone. They're mistier, they're harder to remember, Right, And so I think it's part of a function of being more identified with our wounding and the victim consciousness that keeps us 
from being able to see how identified with the search we are because there's nothing grounded in a witness position. We just are it. We just are our search. We are the wound. And then I think obviously the other thing that keeps us separate from it is that, or keeps us fully in it, is that we are attached, that we do want it. It's like, of course I want to be a tantric master. Of course I want to be married with kids. Of course I just want to be a player at this time in my life. We're so one with it. We're so merged with it that um, it's hard to see. And it's hard to see the way that it's like organizing all of our actions and organizing our identities. So that's just the main thing that I want to point out, baby, is uh, Pluto rules everything around me or Scorpio goes for the jugular because it is the core of everything. And, um, you know, just to conclude, I want to have a story because I actually had this really dramatic experience in 2020, like I'm sure a lot of people did, in terms of waking up out of my karma right? Like I, for a long time, I had this like really traumatic first relationship in high school, which by the way, everyone's always like, oh my God, puppy love. And I think really it's just like the most psychotic and violent rite of passage that we go through with no wisdom, no support, no education going into it, right? So many people I know their first relationships are just like the most traumatic thing they've ever been through that they're still reeling from, but that's a topic for another podcast. So I got like horribly sexually shamed in there. And um, yet, as maybe you can put together, I was like an extremely sexual person with like this huge desire to experience all kinds of sexuality and energy states and subtle, you know, ecstatic experiences or not so subtle. And so um, I was primarily uh, attracted to men. And so I wanted this from men. And yet... I had all of these conditions that I needed in order to feel safe, right? I wanted them to love me, to be committed to me. I mean, one of my most um, long-term ongoing activities, one of my greatest hobbies for the first, you know, 30 years of my life was just trying to get men to fall in love with me. One, I think because I like the power, but two, because it made me feel safe. And it was part of my search, right? I didn't even realize that I was doing it. But making men fall in love with me was almost a way of trying on the option of actually having sex with them. And it's because I wanted to be able to engage in this deep, tantric, energetic, sexual exploration with a man. And yet those conditions were, um, you know, of wanting to feel safe and loved and they were committed to me, made me feel disempowered. It made me feel like all of these men were gatekeeping me from my deepest desire. I just don't want to feel like a slut and I just want to feel like completely loved and wanted so that I'll open. And I think for me, it was also wrapped up in wanting a baby, which I know for a lot of um, people with uteruses it is. Uh, But I wanted this for men and was so angry that they were keeping it from me. And it's like, I didn't even see my own conditions. I didn't even see my own activity. And this crazy convergence of factors happened in 2020 where all of a sudden I was like, wait, fuck this. This is so much bigger than just wanting a man to commit to me in a certain way that I can open. This is my magic. This man has no power over me, this man, this like one man. And Also, what it made me realize was not just like, oh, I can't be a slut, which I realized, and not just made me realize like, oh, I don't want a baby, which I also realized, which freed me up from so much conditioning and seeking. But what I realized is that 
this man who's willing to engage in a certain kind of, you know, relationship with me or social, sexual, sensual experience with me is not the answer to my suffering. And in realizing that, I realized that I had made my social, sexual search the answer to my suffering. And so that's all that I suggest, that maybe there are ways in which you too have made your social sexual search, the answer to your suffering, have made it something outside of you, created an entire desire mechanism of now trying to like make that desire happen that feels like chaotic and completely terrifying because it's dependent on these other people meeting conditions that you have, but that it is actually you. It's your energy. It's your magic. It's your search. It's your entire desire seen. And so I support you. I empower you. Get right with that Pluto baby. Get in touch with your Scorpio. Keep researching and I'll see you next week. 